Episode 7, Artist Sarah Kane. My name is Michael Delgado and I'm your host. You're listening to A.G. Geiger Presents, Tales from the L.A. Art Underworld. I come to you each week from the fantastic library bar in the spectacular historic Mayfair Hotel right here in downtown L.A. Today, I'm meeting Sarah Kane, an influential artist whose work straddles painting, sculpture, and installation. I spot her across the beautiful Art Deco lobby of the hotel. She stands out because she's unassuming. She's in a fleece jacket and jeans, looking every bit the upstate New Yorker. As she saunters over to the bar, she flashes a smile that seems more warm than the fireplace I'm seated next to. It's time to meet. You know Geiger's bookstore across the street? I think I may have passed. You know Geiger by sight? Geiger's in his early 40s, medium height, fattish, soft all over, Charlie Chan mustache, well-dressed, wears a black hat, affects the knowledge of antiques and hasn't any, and... Oh, yes, I think his left eye is glass. Hello. 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 My guest today is Sarah Kane, a highly sought-after and influential artist that has been focused on making art from a very early age. Not only has she been focused, she's been prodigious and has an impressive volume of work that now graces numerous museum holdings and is the pride of many private collections. Originally from New York, Sarah moved to San Francisco in the early aughts and earned her BFA from the San Francisco Art Institute and an MFA from UC Berkeley. Interspersed with her shows with Honor Fraser Gallery here in L.A., she's exhibited in the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, the L.A. County Museum of Art, Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, and the Contemporary Art Museum Raleigh. She's currently completing a massive stained glass installation for the San Francisco Airport. Thank you for coming. Yeah. So, um, I know nothing about you, so that's why. Oh, I'm really? To do this. I, uh, that's not true. That's not true. I know <laughs> some things, and that's what prompted me to actually contact you and, and have you come visit. But um, I, I'm impressed by, uh, you know, you've been extremely busy the last several months, even years, really. But yeah. really, in the last couple months, you've had you got a show at Honor Fraser, which I want to talk about. Yep. You're doing something at LA Breeze, mm-hmm. which is soon, right? In yep. February or something? February, yeah, Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah. And I'm designing a chocolate, actually, too, to give away you? free at it. Yeah. She brought chocolate, <laughs> by the way, which I love. Um, so, yeah, so, um, but before maybe we get to all that, your story is where, the, where are you from? Are you upstate you, New York originally? Oh. Um, I dropped out of high school at 15, though, and left, and then went to south of France, and then went to Albany, New York. As you do, when you drop out at 15, yeah. you just, you know, well, how does that happen? You did. I found loopholes every way possible. I found an exchange program, then I got into college early, then I found a scholarship through now, this little college to go back. When you're dropping out... You, you decide that what you don't like school or you just work um, public that? school in upstate New York in the 90s was the pits oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah and I didn't come for money we're in upstate um, Columbia County now it's really fancy most of Brooklyn has moved to where I'm from oh. but it was I mean my family wasn't fancy and uh, 
yeah, I was just like, I'm going to get pregnant and be depressed and that it's going to ruin my mm-hmm. life or I'm going to get out. So I just found ways to get out. And then I was in California. Well, and, you know, people go out, but then you were like south of France. Well, it was the only, I didn't want to go. I wanted to go to England because I spoke English and I had dropped my French classes to take more um, art classes. Yeah, so it was the only thing I could do. So I was like, fine, I'll do it. And I went to a smaller town than the town I was from. Um, but then I went to a little college in Albany on early admissions and then they sent me back to Paris on a scholarship. And then from there, I got into the San Francisco Art, Com- art Institute. So then I was out in San Francisco from like I think maybe I was 18 or 17 on till I'm still here 39 I've been here a long time now so oh, wow. yeah so so in the when you left you wanted to make art already you decided oh yeah to do that? you're like screw school I'm just gonna paint yeah or did you know it was painting yeah I knew I knew I wanted I mean I knew I was an artist already and then Who I didn't give you the crayons um well, actually, there's um, a portrait in the show at Honors called Martha. I met Martha when I was like 15. Um, she had gone through Bard's program in her 60s. She just passed away this or last year at 92. And she had bought this um, school building that was 8,000 square feet in this little village by me. And I worked in this clothing shop and this woman Carol who I'm still very close with who had lived in um, Chatham New York oh in New York okay yeah and Carol took me over to see Martha and Don's crazy house and Martha was a painter and they had moved from Boston and they kind of took me in so from 15 through I think like 25 I would come back on summers and just live with her and she gave me the top floor so I had 4,000 square feet and I would paint yeah I mean it was pretty amazing um so that's the that's how I like I didn't really know that you could be an artist or I'd never seen a studio or brushes arranged, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um yeah, and I mean I'm still her husband is still alive at 95 and they're still in my life and kind of amazing and I really miss her. Oh, that's a great story. So yeah. but then when you're in the south of France, did you get to look at did did that have some kind of um, not influence, I hate that, but... Uh, well, I couldn't speak. Impression. I mean, I don't really love France. Like, I don't understand everyone's obsession with Paris, but um, it was really hard because I didn't speak, and I'm shy, and I was even shyer back then, so... Ten months straight of not being able to say a word, and this was before the internet. <laughs> this is before <laughs> cell phones. Before battle. Yeah, it was really hard, and I had to go to high school, and I couldn't even understand when they'd say, what's your name? Like, I, it sucked. Um, But it was, like, the most difficult thing I've ever done, and it it just sort of made me realize I could do anything after that or, like, get through anything. So, And that's when I really locked into drawing. All I did was draw all day. Hmm. Well, that would make sense since you can't talk to anyone. Yeah. So you're drawing pictures. This, yeah. I want this. You draw a picture of a steak. <laughs> I wish. No. <laughs> I'm like drawing angry girls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> pictures of New York. I want New York. Yeah. I want to go home. <laughs> oh, man. That so was a long you, time then ago. You San Francisco years. Yeah, a decade. Yeah, I did um, Art Institute for Undergrad and Berkeley for Grad. Um, I had to move every six months. I went through the first dot-com, which everybody thought it couldn't get worse from. Um, 
Yeah, and I still, I actually have a huge project installing there this May, opening in June of a stained glass wall. That's 10 feet, it's that thing, 10 feet by 150 feet. Oh, um, where, where's that gonna go? Uh, She's pointing to a, a, a photo. Or a, is it a photo? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a mock-up. Um, Which one? The, oh, the, all the way, the horizontal. Yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. So that's good. computer, but then that one is actually photographs of the panes I've already completed. So I have... Yeah. 33 of the 37 panels done and each panel is 10 foot high by four feet so it adds to be like 150 feet long so you'll be able to take the BART and it loops around the airport and there's a new terminal and you, you it's the air train so if you get off the air train there you'll come down an escalator and it will be right there oh, wow. yeah huge. it's huge <laughs> it's crazy I've been working on it for two years wow yeah so, and you're supervising the glass yeah, it's right. I'm doing it in my neighborhood at um, Judson Studios. They're historic stained glass studios. They did. I, I learned about them because I was in the first Made in LA here offsite at Barnstall, and I got really obsessed with Frank Lloyd Wright's first house, the Hollyhock House, and they did all the windows there. So then I was like, oh, they're in my neighborhood, and I researched them, and um, I feel like I I work there. I'm there all the time. Yeah, I yeah. Well, there's a lot to learn with that, and glasses. That's tricky stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but they're masters. Like everyone who works there, not everyone, but most people are fourth or fifth generation. So I'm, I'm in the best hands, and I worked with them um, on the skylight that I made at the honor show too. So, so did, uh, yeah, I haven't been over there yet. No. I want to get to that. I said, you know, you opened just Saturday. A couple days ago, yeah. And it runs through March 9th. Okay, good. I'll definitely get over there. So on the, the had, did you pitch the idea for a stained glass, or did stained glass just come naturally out of your work? Um, I was interested in it, and I was already I already knew them and was doing a little bit of a residency, and then I was um, asked if I wanted to apply for a public art commission through the San Francisco Art Commission that had to be in glass. So it could have, I mean, it didn't have to be traditional. I'm doing traditional stained glass and fused glass combined. Um, and the difference is stain has lead in it. Yeah. Is it, 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 it use lead still? Well, I'm using zinc because mm. that's what Frank Lloyd Wright used. So I liked the continuation of the history. And also I thought uh, safety-wise in California, yeah. it's better to get rid of the lead. Um, and then fused is you cut and you use crushed glass and you melt it in a kiln. Hmm. So there's, I don't have any of that in here, but that it's looks like... It's hard to control then, right? Or, yeah, but also I'm working with masters. So, I mean, but that, that was the hardest part getting something because i they're actually so good that their fused glass to me looks like inkjet computer <laughs> so i'm like uh -huh. why would you go through all the work <laughs> if you can't tell you made it so wow. i really pushed them to like work with me on getting a handmade funkier aesthetic and i these sheets that i did look like um big watercolors or something oh. yeah glass is like painting with light i think right yeah, it is. I mean, the biggest thing for me is that I've never, um, I always paint all my own paintings. I've never, I don't collaborate in any way, which this isn't really a collaboration, but I, I have to talk and communicate and someone else is in there with the handwork. So that's a huge shift for me. But, um, but on the big scale stuff, you, you do that all yourself. Yeah. Oh, well, the every yeah my real paintings like the studio based paintings i do all myself sometimes with beading i'll bring on a friend if because that takes forever but i don't plan every painting is like 
I see the step right before I do it. And if there's assistance around, I, I can't really figure it out. Um, and I just like to keep my overhead manageable and low and good, right, <laughs> not <yeah>. scary. <laughs> um, but with the works on site, I have helpers because like for freeze, I'm doing a work on site at Paramount's back lot in their New York City lot they gave me a brownstone so i have three days to make a painting that will go wall floor it's going to have a couch there's going to be a stained glass window so how big is that i feel like the two rooms are maybe only 400 square feet however there's like a lot of molding to paint it's going to be a hard painting job even though it's small but or at honors i did a floor painting on site which i think is 1500 square feet um I did most of the paintings, but I had two helpers. They helped me seal it and fill in some of the lines. So when it's installed like that, are there parts that come out that are for sale? Or how does that work? Um, well, sometimes there are. I mean, I don't to, I don't know. That's like It depends on each one. But like I have made a big floor painting before that the floors can be sold. Um, some of the works on site can be recreated or sold. Sometimes they have templates. Like after I've made it, I can write down how I did it and recreate it. Sometimes, not always. Like the ICALA that I did, there's that was a one-off. Is that down already? I, I missed that. That was a good one. It was fun. It was a brutal. Yeah, and it was like 105 degrees the outside. <laughs> oh my god, I, the white was bouncing off the wall, and I was just like burning on spot. And it was before they opened, so there wasn't. We didn't really have any reprieve, so it was crazy. But it was a cool piece. It looked great. So how did you end up in LA? Oh, so I came down in 2000. The end of 2007, in 2000, I was in the California Biennial in 2008 that Lori Furstenberg curated um, in Aram. And Did you have representation when you were in San Francisco? Yeah, I still show with Anthony Meyer Fine Arts. Um, I've been with Tony since 2004 or 5. Um, and then I came down to do a work on site at Orange County Museum, and then they wanted me to do one downtown L.A., and I didn't really, I had no sense of L.A. Um, and they got me a spot in a uh, a warehouse thing where Brenna Youngblood was and Eamon. Um, so there were a lot of good artists around. And I made works on site that were never open when they were supposed to be open. <laughs> Most people didn't get to see it. But, <laughs> but that's how I landed. And then I was supposed to move to the Netherlands. And I went out to see Andrea Zettel and Joshua Tree and... And at the time, I was living on top of a mountain in Mill Valley because a collector friend had a house that she was letting me live in for free. I was so scrappy. Like, everything was, what could I do for free? How can I make art without, you know, getting a job and everything um, back then? So Andrea helped me find this, my first apartment um, right by the Silver Lake Reservoir. And I, I had no plan on moving here. It just happened, and I never would have guessed. Like, I always thought, oh, I'll end up in New York City. And yeah, here I am. <laughs> Still. <laughs> but thriving. Things are good, yeah? Yeah, things are good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm thankful. <laughs> it's tough to talk about painting on a podcast, um, although there'll be images up on aggeiger.com. Um, but if I could venture a description, your paintings 
are awash in a in like chaotic bursts of color. Sometimes they creep onto the floor or the ceiling. You're doing stained glass in a skylight. Um, they they push like physical boundaries. You've included furniture, so they feel like installations, or maybe records of a particular blast of emotion at a specific time, almost like a happening. Um, but to me, they read as paintings. Me too. I say I'm a painter. I get challenged on that, but I I mean I think that I'm I'm a painter moving towards sculpture, or I'm painting with sculptural ideas, or including space in this and pushing pushing paint to move off of the canvas onto other things. But I really am a painter. Like the way I. S- am in my studio is painterly the way I like put th- put down things on paper like there's a difference um, like Jessica Stockholder someone who is in the in between but she's really coming from a sculpture side and if you look at her drawings they totally read as drawings that a sculptor made and if you look at my works on paper they're completely ones that a painter made and there's just this I don't know even know how to explain it but there's just a difference that painters and sculptors have and you know not that one is better than the other, but I, I definitely am in the painting camp uh-huh. and spending like hours by myself every single day. Um, even though like with the works on site, I do a lot of um, interacting with the real world and with the public art, talking to committees of 20 people and like that pushes your painting quiet. <laughs> you have to, I had to learn a lot of new skills about yeah, communication. Would, right, would be, right, right. <laughs> it's really right. hard. No, it's just going to be like this. Yeah. yeah oh, and also it. like, I don't plan the works on site. So some curators are cool with it. Allie's been great for freeze. Jamila totally trusted me at ICA. Heidi trusted me in Aspen, but sometimes people are like, we need to see very detailed drawings in advance. Mm. And I don't work that way, but I've had to push myself like for the armory. I did it because okay he had sort of had to, had to yeah. yeah and this sfo thing i had to too because i have to have someone else be in the in-between well your paintings you know there's a real in the moment thing about them and and um uh an infectious sloppiness that um is endearing and even as you said about the uh that which cannot be mentioned stained glass <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, you're trying to get them to look, you know, to, to show evidence of your hand. Yeah, it's very physical. Um, but there usually is also this pushback of a hard edge clean line or very calculated details, like the all the nuances. Like, I don't leave a drip. This is so stupid, but like I'm... I, I can look at paintings that have drips and I know that, ugh, you were just lazy. There's a difference. <laughs> There's a difference in like drips that should stay. Right. Yeah. But knowing when that is is the tough part. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I love painting. <laughs> I don't have a tough part of it. Oh, yeah? I have a tough part keeping up and, like, I'm trying to be better about, like, the works on site. Maybe because I'm getting older. I'm just, like, after this last one, I just, my whole body shut down. I just need to figure out how to not physically deplete myself in it. Well, you can get assistance, yeah. Eh, I mean, I had helpers, but I can't shop mine out. It's just like so part of. But you can, like you know, Rubens, right? He had 
a ton, you know, tons of assistance in painting his paintings. And then when um, patrons would come over, he'd kick everybody out and take credit. Yeah, but you can, <laughs> you can feel it. Like people, I mean, tons of painters have assistance, sure. but I'm not that type of painter. There's, and it's more, it's becoming more rare because the expectations to keep up with art fairs and everything, you really are expected to be a factory. And, but I really believe in like this maybe outdated idea of like the practice being this sort of spiritual thing or having some integrity and soul that you can feel if you're shopping out. Uh I mean, I can tell when I look at great artists, if I go see their big shows, I'm like, oh, they made that one. Their studio assistants made that one, you know? Well, I think it kind of depends on the kind of art you're making. I mean, I don't see anybody um, being able to replicate your work um, very easily anyway. Uh, You know, a breaststroke, you know, dashed about as you do, you know, that's your arm span, that's your jumping, you know, that's your splatter. I, I don't I don't see anybody being able to do that. Um, I think also that if you are a lot of people with big careers paint the same thing over and over mm. again, and that's easy um, to copy, but I don't usually do. Yeah, and that's a tough one too because, you know, God forbid somebody tells you that's... Uh, that's great because then trying to replicate that instead of of exploring yeah so after all this you gonna take a break or what's next i'm booked i'm pretty um till like 2021 if not i mean i've honestly been pretty booked for years um yeah but uh, yeah (laughs) Well, that's nice work if you can get it. I mean, that's, yeah, it's I mean, good. Yeah. Is there something really big that you can talk about? Um, well, <laughs> in 2021, I have a show at the Tang Museum, which I'm really excited about. It's Skidmore College, and it's kind of my hometown. Where I grew up was not as nice as Saratoga, but I do have an aunt and uncle that lives there. Um, and I love the curator, Ian Barry, and I've I've loved that museum since it opened. It was one of the first things to happen upstate that actually was great um, contemporary art. And we're making... And that's a solo show? Yeah, it's a, a big solo show, and we're doing a um, really pretty massive new book with it. Um, so I'm really I'm happy. I love, I love books, too. <laughs> there you go, me too. I yeah. yeah. And we had your book in. Oh, yeah, which one? The uh, Architecture of Love or the Little Land one? It was pretty big. Oh, yeah. The Imaginary Architecture of Love. Yes, that's it. Yeah, that was my last book with Cam Rowley. Um, Three years, ten works on site, 2012 to 2015. Yeah. Well, good. Well, I will take you up on those books. Yeah, totally. Thank you. We've been talking with artist Sarah Kane. You can catch her work at Honor Fraser Gallery here in L.A. Um, it's up now through March 9th. She's got an installation at L.A. Freeze, uh, The Big Shoe. At, it's running from February 15th through the 17th at the Paramount Studios. Well, thank you very much, Sarah. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much. I appreciate it, too. You've been listening to... A.G. Geiger presents Tales from the L.A. Art Underworld. 
A.G. Geiger Presents is produced by yours truly, me, Michael Delgado, in conjunction with the beautiful Mayfair Hotel right here in downtown L.A. and the music and artist management company, Regime 72. Please check us out, MayfairLA.com, Regime72.com, and of course, AGGeiger.com. Thanks for listening.